0: In our gospel for today, Jesus and his disciples are at Caesarea Philippi. That's about 20 miles north of the Sea of Galilee. It was a Gentile city. Jesus may, in fact, have withdrawn to that place to get away from those who were his enemies, to be in a more neutral place, even though it was a Gentile place. But it was there at Caesarea Philippi that he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? Or who do people say that I am? They answered, John the Baptist, one of the prophets. You know, they often thought Jesus was a prophet, right up even through uh, the day he entered Jerusalem. Some of them thought he was a great prophet. But then he said to them, But who do you say that I am? I want you to know, first of all, that the you there is emphatic in the original language. It's emphatic. And it is plural. Who do you all say that I am? Who do you all say that I am? And Peter answered by himself, But seemingly, on behalf of all the disciples, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered, Blessed are you, Simon. Blessed are you. For this was not revealed to you by any human person, but by God the Father. And on this rock, I will build my church. Actually, he said, you are Peter. You are Rocky, in other words. And on this rock, I will build my church. Now, for at least the last 500 years, Christians have debated over what this text really means our brothers and sisters in the Roman Catholic Church have said it is a text primarily about Peter. That it is about Peter's blessing and authority in the church. That Jesus spoke specifically to Peter, that he blessed Peter, that Peter was given the keys to the kingdom of heaven, and that he would have a leadership role in the church ever after. Protestants, or at least many Protestants, have disputed that, as has the Greek and Russian churches, and said, no, it's it's not really about Peter. This story is about what Peter said. It's about his confession of faith in Jesus, and that is the rock on which the church will build, that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And there's something to be said for that point of view, too. I would like to be completely decisive in this discussion and say I think both are right to a certain degree. Both are right to a certain degree. If you read Matthew's Gospel in particular, but all the Gospels, Peter certainly has an important role. In every list of the apostles, he's listed first. And in several places, he is given a special responsibility. In several places. So there is some reason to think that Peter was the first among the apostles. That he did have a special role. And we Protestants ought not deny that. We're not all Protestants here. I need to remember that as well. We ought not deny that. And secondly... We all know that there is an important place for leadership in the church. All our churches, wherever we come from, Protestant, Catholic, Orthodox, all have leadership of some kind. It just goes with running an organization, there will be leadership. The Roman church has the Pope and the bishops, but all the rest of our churches have leaders of one kind or another. And in fact, in some, churches, in some churches the leaders have authority the Pope could only dream of, if you want to know the truth. They run their church with an iron hand. So leadership is important, and we ought not to deny that. And we ought to pray for our leaders, for all the leaders of the church. And they've been given special responsibilities. They've been given the keys to the kingdom, if you will. And we know pretty much what that means historically. It means they've been given the the, the gift of discernment, to discern what is true teaching and what is bad teaching. They've been given the gift of, of who should be in and who should be out. They've been given the gift of the forgiveness of sins. That they have the authority on earth. John 20 tells us that clearly, to forgive sins, just as Jesus himself forgives sins. So we ought not despise this special role That's given to leaders of the church. It's there. It's real. We ought to acknowledge that. On the other hand, the traditional Protestant point of view has a lot to say for it. And I don't think many modern Roman Catholics would disagree with that. Jesus said, Who do you? Emphatic plural. Who do you all say that I am? He was speaking to all the disciples, but I think in the context of Matthew's Gospel, he's speaking to all of us. It's a question directed to each and every one of us, each and every, each and every, every hearer of the word. Who do you, you all, say that I am? Now, I can't answer that question for you. It is a personal question directed to each and every one of you. What do you say? What do you think of Jesus? Who is he? What's his role? What does he mean to you? I can't answer that question for you. Only you can answer that. What I can tell you, though, is how Peter answered and what Peter's answer seemed to mean. He said, You are the Messiah, the Christ. Peter was saying that Jesus was the one that Israel had been waiting for. The one that they'd been waiting for for maybe a thousand years. The one who would come and be like David. A great king who would set the people free. Now they were looking for someone to set them free from the Romans or to set them free from from whoever was oppressing them. But they were looking for someone to set them free And the word Messiah implies that this is one who would come and set them free. Now, I don't think they all understood that, what that meant at the time. I doubt if Peter even understood it. Jesus is the one who's come to set Israel free, to set us free. Not politically, but from our sins, from our failures, from our pains, from our sorrows, from all that would plague us, kill us, drive us to death and despair. He's the one who's come to set you free, to set you free. For he is, as Peter said, the son of the living God. The son of the living God. Now, again, in that context, we're probably talking about the son of David. And they were always looking for someone who would come and be a son of David, like David. And they expected that this one that came to be like David would be, if I can put it this way, a son of God. That's what what David's children were called. David's successors were called sons of God. They were special kings in the history of Israel. And that may be all that Peter means, but we know more, don't we? He is the son of the living God. The son of the living God. By that, we mean that he comes from God. That he is of God's very self. Hmm? Of God's very self. That he comes, if I can use some bad English, he comes to do God to us. To do God to us. Right here on this earth. In front of everybody. And if you read the story, you see what he does. What what does he do? He heals the sick. He casts out demons. He gives sight to the blind and, and, and hearing to the deaf. He forgives sinners. He reaches out to all kinds of people. He eats with them, he touches, he touches, touches lepers. Can you believe that? And they're healed. He does God to them. Do you want to know what God is like? Look at Jesus, and you know what God is like. Don't believe any other story you hear about God. There are all kinds of stories about God out there. Some of them masquerading as Christian if you want to know what God is like look at Jesus and you see God in the flesh in the flesh for he has come to set you free to forgive your sins to heal your diseases to make you a child of the Heavenly Father and he didn't just say it did it. Peter didn't know it yet at this point. But he went all the way to the cross and sealed those words in his blood. All the promises are sealed in blood. He will not let you down. He he never backed off. He kept his promises to the bitter end and he keeps his promises now as the risen one. The one one who articulates these words of mine for you today. These are not my words, they're his words. I love you. I forgive you. You are a child of my Heavenly Father. Those are his words. For you. And you can believe them because they're sealed with his precious blood. Sealed with his blood. I want to say two more things before I quit. Remember he mentioned, it was on this, whether it's Peter or on the Confession, that he would build his church and the powers of death would not prevail against it or however it's written. Actually, the literal translation of that is the gates of hell or the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. We often read that verse as as if it's The powers of hell that are on the offensive, hmm? and the church is on the defensive. hmm? The powers of hell will not prevail against it. That's not what what the text actually means. It says the gates of hell will not prevail against it. In other words, if you die, or when you die, and you're swallowed up by death, huh? you're swallowed up by death, and the gates close, right? You're dead, you can't get out, right? Guess what? The gates of hell are burst wide open. The gates of hell cannot prevail against this one who comes to set you free. Even though you die, yet shall you live. That's his promise. It's not his word, his promises are on the offensive. They're reaching out to get you even in death even in death he will come to break those gates wide open set you free and finally he he tells them at the end don't tell anyone about this which often seems to us to be odd but it isn't odd at all we have read the whole story we know how it all comes out Peter didn't know how it was all going to come out at that point none of them did In fact, it's next week's lesson where he tells them what's going to happen. Next week, in in our lessons, he'll tell them that the Son of Man is going to Jerusalem to die. They didn't understand that yet. They didn't know what was going on. They may well have been looking for a political David, huh? Someone to drive the Romans out. So don't tell anyone yet, because if you do, you'll probably get it wrong. It wasn't until he had suffered and died and was risen again. But he says to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. Only after his death and resurrection would they fully understand what it was about. That this wasn't a political kingdom he'd come to bring, but the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven kingdom of love and joy and forgiveness and hope. And so it is for you. This is the word for you. The promise for you. You are loved. You are forgiven. I say it to you right now, in his name, by his authority, all your sins are forgiven. You have a new life in him beginning right this moment. He's he told me to tell you that. He told me to tell you that. And I'm telling you right now. On his behalf. You have a place in his kingdom. I think Peter says that. I think the blessed Pope says that too. And I think all kinds of Protestants say that as well. And we all need to be saying it together. To each other and behind the bounds of this room.